Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Your strength is in the constitution of the family of God. Amen. One of the members of our family, spiritual family, said this to me at the week of meetings now in Port Shepston. They said, I feel so strong just being amongst everybody, just being amongst family. The Bible says that God sends strength from out of Zion. There's a text in, in Judges 18 which says that the, the men of Laish were struck with the edge of the sword. Remember? And the, the city was burned to the ground and there was no one to help them. And the reason offered was that they were too far from Sidon having business with nobody. The isolated Christian is the most dangerous Christian. The isolated person is the most vulnerable. You find your strength in community. You find your strength in, in family. Amen. From out of Zion, he sends help from his sanctuary. I want to speak about a matter that I believe is critical to our forward journey in Christ and for all that the Lord has got to do in the future with this church. It's a matter of trusting God. Everyone say, trusting God. And you might think, wow, Randolph, this is so such an elementary thing to prosecute scripturally. But I heard the Lord clearly say to me about two weeks ago, and in fact, it happened on the plane coming back from Trinidad. He said, you don't trust me enough. It was like a rebuke of the Lord. He said, you don't trust me enough. I want to do more, but you're not trusting me enough. And so immediately I pulled out my computer. I pulled out of my Bible program. I searched trust, trusting, trustworthy, all the trust-related words. All I did initially Pulled them out. I pasted all the scriptures into a word document. So for the first half an hour, just let me just read what does your word say about trust. I began to just pour my mind and read through. That's what I normally do whenever I prosecute a subject. I get as many scriptures into my head as possible. I'll just read over. And the Lord began to, to speak to me. And then he said this. While you're dealing with the Kingdom Economic Series, teach my people to give trust fully. You don't just give truthfully, that's without hypocrisy as we've previously taught you. You don't just give gracefully. You must also give trustfully. Now, I'm going to pour through the scriptures, a whole lot of scriptures. This note, I will email to you to be part of your discussion at your house church meetings. Please position your spirit for a download of the word. Prepare to hear scriptures that I'm going to pour over because that's how the Lord encoded it in my own heart. I love the songs we sang this morning about the power of God's Word. How many people love God's Word? David said in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love thy law. He was referring to the first five books of the Bible when he said that. It is my meditation all of the day. Sometimes one of the best things you can do is, for an hour or so, just pour over the Scriptures and bathe and baptize your mind 
in the word of the Lord. It's a very powerful effect. It's meditative. It washes you. It encourages you. It cleanses you. Amen. So, trust God. Now, the Bible encourages us to place our trust in God. Psalm 62 verse 6 says the following. Verse 8, sorry. Psalm 62 and verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah means, the word selah means pause, stop, reflect. Selah actually means, don't read verse 9, camp here. Stop here. Don't read on until the truth has really embossed itself upon the fabric of your spirit and your, and your mind. So, and the scripture says we must trust in God when? At? At all times. In other words, there should not be a time in your life where trusting God is not active, where trusting God is not current, where trusting God is not expressed. At all times does not mean sometimes. At all times means all the time. Trust should be consistent. Trust should be um, uh, the same. It should be frequent. It should be an abiding feature of your relationship with the Lord. Now bump your neighbor and say, trust Him all the time. You don't waver between states of trust and distrust. The opposite of trust is to distrust. You move out from the realm of trusting God and you enter into positions of a lack of faith or unbelief or fear where trust becomes eroded and your trust becomes compromised and you don't express your trust in God. Proverbs 37 verse 3, this is a very well-known text. Proverbs 37 verse 3 to 5 says the following, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your, of your heart. Right? Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do it. He will do it. Amen? So, trust in the Lord and do good. Now, before I go on, let me just quickly tell you what trust means. The Hebrew word is aman, and it's very simple. It simply means to believe. Everyone say, I believe. If you say, I trust God, you're saying, I believe in Him. I believe in His Word. I believe in His promise. If He said something, I regard it as true. And so, a synonym for trust is believe. Everyone say, I believe. Abraham believed God, and the Bible says, it was reckoned to him as what? As righteousness. Because he believed, righteousness was EFT'd into his account. It was reckoned. Reckoned is an accounting term. Modern day counterpart would be EFT. There was an impartation or download of the righteousness of God into him for the simple reason that he believed God. Now, this message is more exhortational than didactic. It's more encouraging than instructional. I want to build your faith. Believe God. Just believe. Sometimes we make matters too, too complex. That, and if we are 
to walk in the steps of our father Abraham. Romans 4 says that. Walk in the steps of your forefather Abraham. If we were to emulate and copy him, critical thing about Abraham is if God said it, he simply believed. Now tell your neighbor, simply believe. Simply believe. If you just trust me and believe in me and follow my lead and don't go by your own plans, see, you will produce an effect that is currently a pressing issue in the heart of my people every time you speak and don't rely upon your own understanding. Don't rely upon yourself. I want to encourage every one of us to get to a place now where we are far more sensitive and far more resolute about our, our, our inclination to obey God in all that He says. Just believe. Abraham just believed God. It was reckoned to him for righteousness. Another Hebrew word, there are two Hebrew words. The one is aman, which means believe. That The more common one is bata. B-A-T-A-H, bata. Bata means to rely upon or to depend upon. And I like this. With the sense of being completely confident and feeling utterly safe. If you say, I trust God, you're saying, I rely on you, I, de I depend on you, and I have the sense of safety and security. I have the sense that all will be well, that I will not be compromised, my welfare, both physically, for our references, economically, emotionally, relationally, I will not be compromised in any way if I express trust in you. So everyone say rely upon. Say depend upon. Say I believe. I believe. And the idea in the word bata is if you do those things, safety and preservation become guaranteed. Safety and preservation become guaranteed. The Greek word is pistio, which literally means again to believe, but it also means to be convinced of something and to have faith in God. Faith is probably a New Testament counterpart of the Old Testament usage of the word for trust. David, I don't think he ever used the word faith, but it's no doubt he had faith in. He had faith in God, but he would often say, my trust is in the name of the Lord. I trust you. He, the, the words we sang here in the song, you are my hiding place, Psalm 32, right? You are my hiding place. You will preserve me from trouble. And in Psalm 56, I think verse 3 or thereabouts, he said, what time I am afraid I will trust in? I will trust in you. What time? In other words, that's old King James for whenever. Right? What time I am afraid I will trust in, in you. Amen. You've got to know how to deal with fear. When, you are fe when fear hits you, your trust will save you. Trust in the Lord and don't depend upon your own intellect, your own resources, your own cleverness um, to get you out. Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. This is a very well-known portion. With some of your heart? Now, we just read you must trust Him at all times. This text says, with all of your heart. For trust to work 
it must be wholehearted. A whole heart must be involved. Okay? And do not do what? Lean on your own understanding. This text does not say abandon your understanding. It simply says don't rely upon it. It simply says don't lean on it. Because very, very often, human reasoning will fail you. In a matter for which God is calling you to express trust in Him for, but you want to calculate it out or reason it out using your intellect or your limited human uh, brain capacity to work things out. It's not that you must abandon your brain. It simply says you don't depend on it. Don't use that as the basis upon which you're going to make the decision. The, you, your understanding and your mind is of the Lord. Your soul is critically important to navigate through life. But it's not to be dependent upon. Okay? You're, 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 you're leaning. What are you leaning on? You lean on God. You rely. You depend upon Him. That expresses your trust in the Lord. Okay? Your trust in the Lord. Now, I want to encourage you. If you're not to lean on your own understanding... And you must trust in the Lord with what? Your whole, with your whole heart. In the heart, you must make sure that you don't, you know, the saying is, follow your heart. Remember the saying, follow your heart? But what does Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says? The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, deceitful above, above than all else and is desperately sick or wicked, who can understand it? I want to encourage you. The heart is sometimes prone to sentiment. And you've got to make a decision. I'm not going to be sentimentally driven. I'm not going to be sentimentally motivated. I'm not going to be feeling oriented. I'm going to be a person of great principle. Decisions must be principle driven, not sentiment driven. Okay? Because left to yourself, how you feel in your heart might be, you might open a door for being seduced into pursuing a path that God has not ordained for, for you. The essential thing is for the heart to be bathed in the principles of God. Okay? So tell your neighbor, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Proverbs 28, verse 26. I hope you're taking notes. Please, you're going to discuss this on Wednesday. I want this prosecuted or wherever you meet for your house churches. I, 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 want, I want this whole church to be a trusting God church. Never must we rely upon human strength, human intellect. If God tells us to do something, we will do it. If He says something, we'll regard it as true, even though physical evidence says something contrary. Our trust will not be in circumstances our trust will be in, in God. He would trust, this text says, in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be, de, will be delivered. Okay? So you can't even rely upon your own heart. But you use your heart, you trust in the Lord with your heart. Okay? You take that heart of yours, which the heart is often used as the center of life, the center of your being. The essence about you. Say, God, with every fiber in my heart, I won't even rely on the heart outside of you, but this heart will find its trust in the Lord. So tell your neighbor, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
I'm going to run through scriptures I told you. The baptism of scriptures today, right? <laughs> Proverbs 16 verse 1 and 3 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the, the Lord. Uh, a simple way of, of, of understanding this is, you can plan whatever you want to in your, your heart, but the response to those plans is God's sovereign control. Okay? Your plans are in submission to His sovereign will. Amen? Many of the plans, another version says, many of the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's what? It's the Lord's purposes that prevail. Yeah? The Lord's purposes that prevail. So I want to encourage you, even when you plan something, endeavor that your plans in the first place be the will of the Lord. Yeah? Seek God. And that's, a way, that's an expression of how you trust Him. Never ever embark upon serious planning, strategic planning that affects life forever without first consulting the Lord. Right? Many people plan without the Lord. Then we come to God to endorse the plan. Lord, put your rubber stamp. Say it's okay. Right? And then when things go wrong, we blame God. Or we say, I don't have faith. You must trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Okay? Don't let the heart plan something outside of the will of the Lord. The next verse says this quickly. All the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the, the motives. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Right? Commit or, or present your plans to the Lord. And I would like to think when you do that, present your plans to the Lord at that critical phase. He will endorse it or discredit it. I've, I've been here many times. I've planned something. And just before we're about to embark, God intervenes sovereignly and says, no, 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 not me. That's not me. No, Lord, I, I'm sorry I misheard you. I, I, I misinterpreted something. Okay. You see, before you embark upon the plan, commit the plan to the Lord. Right? And if it's of the Lord, God is surely going to make it succeed. Now, of all the challenges that people have in trusting God, the greatest, there are several hindrances or prohibitors to trusting God fully. Let me just list a few, then I'll, I'll talk to some of them. Now, I won't talk to all of them. Number one is human intellect. Right? Human intellect. Secondly, human resource. Thirdly, rational thinking. Fourthly, dependence on natural or known props or support systems to the total disregard of God. Can't tell me you're trusting in God, but you're not. But you've got a support system on the side. And you're saying, I have faith, I have trust, but yet your, your reliance is really upon something? else that you, you are depending upon to sustain you. And I'll show you in a moment how God's going to remove all support props that are not of Him to bring you to a place where you squarely look at Him only and you say, now trust me. Right? Trust me. Don't work the system. Trust me. Yeah? Trust me. You'll see this as I, as I, as I proceed. And then fear would be another issue. Fear, which is a serious 
uh, attack and an attempt by the domain of darkness to erode your trust position in God. Let me just speak quickly to this issue about the necessity not to put your trust in men. Now let me just say this, God will use men to bless you, but don't put your trust in them. Don't put your trust in the means. Put your trust in the source. We often, when God uses men to bless us, and He does so, there's a subtle tendency to take your eye off the Lord and to use what the Lord is doing. The mistake you make, you take your, way, you take your eye away from the source and you start to use the means that God uses. And it's a subtle form of idolatry where, you, where your dependence is upon human agency and not the God source. Hallelujah. Not the God source. This is very important to me. God kept saying to me over and over again, I want my glory back. I want my glory back. Randolph, you focus on me and nobody else. Right? And you know what? In the past, in the journey of this, of this church, we've had great people amongst us that financed the church in a very significant way simply because of what they did. And you know what? It, it, early days, I remember... You know what my, 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 uh, my failure was? Month end, when bills need to be paid for church, I'd be waiting to see, did that person tithe? When the person didn't tithe, what? What happens? What was God teaching me? You know what God said to me? I'm taking your eye off men. Because you're looking to the means I use and not to me as the source. It's a very subtle thing, eh? And we all fall prey to this, not so? So one of your suppliers stopped supplying. Where was your eye all along? Was your eye on the means that God was using? Or what is your eye on God himself? I've been hearing the Lord clearly say, Randolph, where you are going as a church and the things that I have in store for you for the future is going to demand total trust in me alone and not men. Thank God for the people that he uses. But take your eye off people and put it squarely upon the Lord. So that when He does break through using men, you thank the men, but you give glory to the Lord. All glory, all honor belongs to the Lord God. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, family. I want to say this to you. God has too much in store for you for the future. For you to give glory to a source that is not God. In terms of the blessing you're going to steward, you're going to have to master this elementary disposition that God, my trust is in you. My trust is in you and in you alone. So, listen carefully. Tell your neighbor, do not trust in man. Come on, tell someone, don't trust in people. Now, I'm saying this carefully because the Bible does say sons of God, especially leaders, must be trustworthy. It is expected, for example, the text says, of stewards, that we be faithful. That word faithful means worthy of trust. I should be able to trust Sean. I should be able to trust Bernard. Right? I should be able to trust uh, Sherwin there at the back, or any one of you. We must be trustworthy people. And so there's a level of dependence that we should have in terms of if you say something, you mean it. Right? You tell me you're going to meet me there at 10 o'clock. I expect to see you there at 10 o'clock. Don't come late and no excuse. Okay? Your word is your bond. Your word, they say, is your trust. We must be trustworthy people, but God must get 
the totality of, he's the object of my trust, not men. Now, Psalm 146, verse 4, verse 3 and 4. Do not trust in princes, right? in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. In which name is salvation only found? Come on. In Jesus Christ, right? In His name is salvation alone. So don't trust in princes or mortal men. His spirit departs and He returns to the earth. In that day, His thoughts perish. So why mustn't I put my trust in man? Simply because the end of man is the grave, is death. So if your trust is in Him, your trust is in a temporary thing. Your trust has got an ex expiration date attached to it. Right? Come on, tell your, your neighbor your trust mustn't have no expiry date. So then don't put your trust in any expression, human or, or any other thing, that will, it, that, will, that will in time stop or in time fail. And I'm just pick, please hear with the Spirit as we speak. Because as I tell you something, God might be referencing other things in your spirit that mean something to you. Psalm 62 verse 11 says, Once the Lord God has spoken, but twice I have heard it said that power belongs to God. God can speak once, but you can hear two things. Hmm? So hear, hear, hear with, the, with, with the Spirit. right? The same text in the NIV, Psalm 162 verse 3 in the, in the NLT sorry, says, Do not put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. <laughs> Do you know what the reference to powerful people or princes in this text is literally influential politicians? It's amazing that if we see a person with clout in any arena, influence, they, they, they are role, chief role players, either in business, politics, and let's say they come into a meeting. Do you know how people will naturally gravitate towards them? But a, a no-name no brand comes in here, right? Doesn't attract that kind of attention. And why are people drawn to influential people? Ordinarily, it points to there's still a subtlety in your heart that you are praising men after externalities. And what you are suggesting when you employ those behaviors is, my trust is still in people. My trust is still in people. I don't push to know anybody these days. If God puts me in contact with someone, I believe it's God's orchestration. But I'm trying to humble my heart and God, if something's going to be of you, let it be of you. Don't try to make things happen. Don't try to make things happen. Cain. The word Cain means I possess. I make things happen. Abel means vanity, emptiness. I'm a poverty of spirit, right? I want to encourage us, don't push through ambition to make things happen. Quietly do your work and allow God to promote you in the set time. I've seen this happen with my own life. It's a tried and tested principle with me. This is what the Lord told me on the plane. You know, I wrote it down. When I typed this down at the top here, I typed it in capital letters. And let me read it. God is a jealous God. And will ruthlessly remove things in which we trust that displace his position of being the object of our trust. Everyone say ruthlessly remove. Yeah? 
God ruthlessly removed my dependence upon people. Sometimes by removing the people. Yeah. Because it, it was, my, I was in the wrong place. Yeah. My eye was in the wrong place. God is a jealous God. Say after me, God is jealous. His glory He will give to no man. And if you are drawing your dependence and you, you're looking to certain processes, systems, or people by which you think will ensure your welfare, your preservation, your protection, God, I, I submit to you, this is a prophecy for the house. Listen very carefully, guys. God is saying to all of you, I will come in there and take away the prop. That you are, you, are, you are leaning upon that individual, that system, that thing so heavily. And your eyes are not on me. And to, because I love you as my son, I want you to fully trust me. God says, I simply remove that so your eye can be on me again. Come on. Tell someone, look to the Lord again. Come on, look to the Lord again. It's a, it's a look to the Lord again. And I hear the Spirit say that as I speak. Look to the Lord again. Again, you know Jehoshaphat, when he was surrounded by a three-pronged enemy, remember? And remember, he didn't know what to do and he called a fast. And what he said to the Lord, I like his words. He says, oh Lord God of heaven and earth, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Have you ever gotten to that place where your life has like come to a complete cul-de-sac? Don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I've taken my, my morning prayer time very seriously now. It's non-negotiable, no matter how busy I am. God said, you're doing so much in the day. Have you consulted me? Have you committed things to me? Have you, have you presented the plans to me? Have you sat quietly? Have you weighed things in your spirit? And of where's your trust? The danger of success is to look to success for future success. Been there, done that, got the cap, got the accolades. You've run the course and you think you can go the next, the next journey thinking that based upon prior experience, I will make it. You know, David, when they raided Ziglag, 1 Samuel 30, remember? When they raided Ziglag, burnt it, took the wives and the kids, remember? And his army came back to the city, found all the wives, all the children taken captive. His men spake of killing him, Remember? The Bible says the hearts of the men became bitter. There was bitterness in the camp. And they spake of stoning David. Now, and what does the Bible say? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Right? It would be the most obvious thing now, David, to go and attack these guys. Yeah? And get back your wives and children. But David takes time, the Bible says, and he inquired of the Lord. He says, men, 400 of you men, 400 guys here. I know you're angry. The Bible says they actually spoke of killing David. They were so angry because you led us this way. We should have left men to protect the city, but you took all of us out to fight that battle. Your leadership style is in question here. The huh? Bible says he, he pulls aside, and what does he do? The Bible says, and David inquired of the Lord. Don't do the obvious thing, even when the obvious thing it's so obvious before you. Don't just pursue it because this is what any man, any leader now would do. Attack them, get the wives and kids back. The Bible says, and he besought the Lord. Shall I go up? And shall I 
recover. And the Lord said to him, Arise, David. Go. Overtake and recover all. He went on the command of the Lord, not based upon on previous success as a military general. So God is going to take away all props that you depend upon. Yeah? So oh, this is a wonderful word of encouragement. Get ready for some prop removal activity <laughs> in your life. Things that you depend upon, God's going to dry it up. It's not punitive. Listen to me. It's not God's not being hard. All God is saying, I want your eye on me. And let me, here's the good news. God's saying, because if you rely on me, there's a way in which I will do things. That your present eye and your present source will pale into insignificance when I come in and step in. Yeah? Amen? So this is a very good word of encouragement. I found a lovely text in Jeremiah 17, uh, 5 verse 17. Jeremiah 5 verse 17, God, concerning Israel, God says, I will raise up an army. Israel was stubborn. They trusted in their own strength. God says, I will raise up an army to deal with you. So God says, they will devour your harvest and your food. They will devour your sons and your daughters. They will devour your flocks and your herds. They will devour your vines and your fig trees. They will demolish with the sword your fortified cities in which you Trust. God says, your trust is in your fortification of your city. Impregnable. You have strong cities. Impregnable. God said, your trust is in that. So I raise up an army to break your wall. Right? To, to show you how, how unreliable the object of your trust is. And I hear the Lord saying that. God is saying to all of you, see my church how unreliable the thing in which you trust is. So get back to trusting me. Get back to relying upon me. Please hear this. God will dry up that thing because he wants his glory back. Now, has anyone been fearful, fearful here recently? You know, fear erodes trust. That's why David said, What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Listen to these verses. This is Psalm 56, verse 3, I'm quoting. What time, when, when I'm afraid, O King James, what time? I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid what mere man can do to me. Isaiah 12 and verse 2. Isaiah 12 and verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Notice how trust in these verses is put juxtaposed to the whole idea of fearing. It says, I will trust and not be afraid. Trusting in God is the antidote to fear. I want to encourage us all, don't fear anything. Don't fear the future. Don't fear how your finances will pan out. Don't fear the prospect of future relationships or not. Don't fear anything. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't fear the future. Ian's going for an op tomorrow, is it? Cartilage on his shoulder. Don't fear the outcome. The opposite of fear is trusting in the Lord. Where there's no trust in God, fear steps in and fear cripples faith. Trust in God and do 
not fear. Psalm 32 verse 7, you are my hiding place as we've sung. You will preserve me from trouble. You will surround me with songs of deliverance. I want to encourage you not to fear. You know what Job said in Job 13 verse 15, first part of that verse. He said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Now you've got to come to this, this position in your life. You know, in context here, his, his friends um, inaccurately appraised his trial. They, they accused him of hiding sin, and that's why all this judgment upon your life, Job. And he, and he says, I'm never going to move away from this position of trusting in the Lord. Remember what his wife said. What did, what did Mrs. Job say to Job? Curse God and die. Throw in the towel. See how the Lord God is dealing with you. Right? What is his response? He says, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. And he makes this wonderful statement. Blessed be the, the name of the Lord. Barak. Blessed be the God. He's saying the word Barak. You are the source of provision, protection, productivity, fertility, prosperity. That's what the word means, Barak. When Job said, Barak, the name, he's saying, God is source of productivity, fertility, and fruitfulness. But you look at the man, you say, but you have nothing. Yeah, but I'm looking to the source. Right? I don't need the thing to trust the source of the thing. If I focus on the source, put my trust in there, and what, how does Job's end? What is Job's end? The Bible says, and God gave him twice whatever he lost. Double fold to the man that trusts in the Lord. Now, I'm here to tell you, the Lord, I bolded this when God told me this. And I wrote here, untested trust is unknown trust. Trust is going to be tested. Do you trust God? Answer me. I want to hear you. Do you trust God? Yes. You don't know. <laughs> you only know when that is tested. Easy to sit here now and say, I trust God. You only know when the rubber hits the road and you're left with an issue. The Bible even says the testing of your faith, when it's tried, might be proved to the praise and honor and glory of His name. Untested faith is untrusted faith. You, you, you only know in the middle of a trial the degree to which you really trust God. When the fire is on and you're in the heat of the battle, what will you say then? Will you trust me then? Will you trust me then? Now Hezekiah faced a situation. Hezekiah was a godly king of Judah. The Assyrian king, Sennacherib, surrounded Judah and besieged, his intent was to besiege the city of Jerusalem. He had besieged several cities in the surrounding areas before. So he's on the warpath and he comes to Judah. Godly king is there. You know how the Assyrians and the Persians function? They send emissaries ahead of them. The 300, you watch the, the opening scene. Or they come to inform, surrender or else. We're coming in, surrender or else, serve us. So emissaries come to Hezekiah, and before they even came, Hezekiah informs all the watchmen on the wall and the whole of the nation. 
We will trust in God. We are besieged. This enemy is too big for us. We can't even fight. But we are going to trust God. Say trust. So trust was a buzzword in that account. Buzzword. We're going to trust God in this one. Come on, say trust God in this one. We're gonna, I, know, I know some of you are facing a this one, right? But I'm saying for this one that you are facing, it might seem besiege. It might seem like, a, like you are surrounded and total annihilation is the only outcome. Based upon the history of this guy, Sennacherib, surely Judah and Jerusalem are next in line to fall prey into his hands. But there's a very, very godly king there. I'm not sure if I put these verses up here, but um, I'll, I'll read it later, where it says of King Ju- of, of Second Kings, just let me see if it's there, in Second Kings, yes, yeah, I got it in my notes, Second Kings chapter 18 verse 5, check Hezekiah's position, watch, what is his position? Come on, talk to me, he, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that, watch, after him, There was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. He's a very godly king. Hezekiah is a very good case study to study on reformation. Great reforms he brought to the nation. Verse 6. He cleaved or he clung to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him. But he kept the commandments which the Lord God commanded Moses. In the seasons in which you are besieged, and I'll probably show you this only in two weeks' time. I won't, I won't, I won't finish this look by the looks of things, unfortunately. When you have nothing, on to, nothing else to cleave to, cleave to the word. When you have nothing else to hold on to, hold on to God's promise. Hold on to the word. When you say, Randolph, there's nothing else I can hang on to. I'm exhorting you. Did God tell you something? Say yes, well, hold on to that. Did God promise you something in reference? Hold on to that. Cleave. Everyone say cleave. Cling, cleave. Hold on to this with all of your, of your might. The emissaries from Sennacherib come to Hezekiah, and they, they, they speak to Eliakim, Shebna, who were envoys of, of, of king of, of Judah, and they say, you better surrender now or else. Right? And they, they speak to them in Judean. And they even say, no, speak to us in Aramaic. We understand. And they refuse. And they lifted up their voice in the Judean tongue. And they tried to discourage all the men of Israel not to listen to King Hezekiah's command for them to trust in the Lord in this battle. Second Kings 18, verse 29. They say, thus the king says, do not let, they say to the men, do not let Hezekiah deceive you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make you what? Don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of King Assyria. So these emissaries from Assyria try to discourage the nation, put them into fear, take them out of trust by discrediting Hezekiah's voice in their midst. Who's Hezekiah? Their leader, their king. Do you know what I, I, I've been picking up in my spirit? 
there's been a satanic attempt at my discreditation. And hence you are now in the position where you cannot trust God. Because trust is built upon the word of the Lord. If we, they thinking, if we can discredit Hezekiah, we'll break the trust in the people upon their God. Right? But it doesn't succeed. You know, Hezekiah told Shepnan and Eliakim, and the other guy, I forget his name, three of them, that represent him in the discussions with his emissaries. Hezekiah said, when they tell you this, he knew what they would say. He says, answer them not a word. Don't respond. Sometimes it's just wise to keep quiet. <laughs> just, just keep quiet. Because sometimes, listen carefully, when people erode the word of the Lord, given as an instruction to you to trust God by a credible leader, and you entertain the discussion, the moment you enter communication is the possibility for your position to be eroded. So he stands quietly. They just, you think all of this, these guys, can you finish now? Now go back to Syria. Right? And they just, see, they maintain their trust in the Lord. You know, that night, that night, they didn't fight a single, not one man lifted up a sword. The Bible says, and the Lord moved through the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Right? You see, there's something about trust when God sees it erect. And when God sees that trust has come up against great attack, but see the trust is still in place, it moves the hand of God to act on your behalf. I want to encourage you, I hear this in the spirit. This is what the Lord said to me when I read this account. Oh, by the way, this one account is in three places in the Bible. Three places. The whole thing. I said, God, you're wasting pages here. God says, no, it's a very important narrative. Don't let words of discreditation, words of fear, doubt, unbelief erode your trust position. Come on. Repeat after me. Trust in the Lord at all times. Repeat after me. Trust in the Lord. With your whole heart. God is saying maintain those two. Don't veer from that church because I'm about to sweep through the camp of your enemies. And I will do things that will amaze you. Right? You will never, uh, and I wrote this text, I found it actually last night. Um, it, was, it was in my spirit some, some, some time ago. And the Lord said this to me, if I can find it. Yes, Psalm 22, verse 4 and 5. Psalm 22, verse 4 and 5. Watch, the psalmist says, In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you'd what? So how does deliverance come? There's no, there's no deliverance without trust. Hezekiah and, and Judah trust God and God sovereignly sweeps through. This text, the psalmist says, Our fathers trusted you, they trusted you, and you delivered them. Verse 5. To you, they cried out and were delivered, and in you they trusted, and they were not disappointed. The Lord says, you will not be disappointed with me. If you trust me, you know the word disappointed here in the Hebrew means ashamed. And I declare to none of, to all of you, there's no one here that's going to come to a place of embarrassment. Nobody here, I declare to you by the Spirit, is going to come to a place of shameness. Feeling ashamed or disappointed as to the path that God led you on. I say this to you as a servant of Christ. Trust God and see what He will do. Come on, tell someone we will not be ashamed. 
We will not be disappointed. Come on, tell someone. Say it for yourself. I will not be disappointed. God, and God, you know, I, I like, the Lord sometimes speaks to me very personal ways. He said to me, Randolph, I will not disappoint you. God is a not a disappointing God. He's extremely reliable, extremely faithful. He's dependable. You can take your money to the bank on this one. He will not fail you. I will never leave you, neither will I forsake you. Come on, I just, you know, some of you are looking at me like you got this all together. <laughs> I want to encourage you, brethren. God's not going to disappoint you. The outcome is going to be positive. Take that however you want it. Say this to you by the Spirit. The outcome will be positive. Too many things stacked up in your favor, no matter what the odds are against you. Your family, your children will be blessed in the end. The process might be hard, but there is a finality. There's an outcome that God says, I am not disappointing anybody in Gate Ministries, Durban Central. If ever there's a word for you, register this in your spirit. And say, God, you said you are not going to disappoint me. So I will not waver in my trust. My trust in you is unswervable. I will remain unswervingly faithful, trusting in the Lord at all times. Oh. I'm only on page 4 of 10. <laughs> I really want to get to the kernel. I haven't even, this is all just introductory, really, right now. In Isaiah's account, of the Sennacherib uh, Hezekiah saga. I'll, I'll share you the text. You can read this. a long, long account of how this thing plays itself out. And the Lord kills 185,000 Assyrians. You know when God did that? God is literally saying to Hezekiah, see, I will not disappoint you. You remain strong. See what I've done? I'm like, you, you're never going to come to a place of shame. Don't worry. As strong as the Assyrians are. They were literally surrounded. They were besieged. No way in, no way out. There was no telling what devastation would have taken place if God did not come through in the manner that he would. And let me just say this to you. I say this to you by the Spirit. There is no telling what devastation some of you await if God does not come through for you. It's going to have to be God. It's going to have to be God very soon. Hmm? <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... We also, we need God very soon. <laughs> and God is saying to me, I'm hearing it. I woke up with the, with the thought in my mind, I will not disappoint you. You see, you've got to get the word into your spirit, into your mind. Memorize the text. God is saying, I will not. You will never be ashamed. Don't worry. You know what? Really speaking, that word where it says you will not be disappointed, in the Hebrew means ashamed. It means some versions say you will never be disgraced. Out of grace. Grace will always characterize your existence. Amen. Now, in, in the middle of the narrative, to encourage Hezekiah, God raises up a prophet, Isaiah. And Isaiah is sent to him. And just, there's a whole, I must read it. I won't have time to read There's a whole lengthy, about 10 verses there, where the prophet is simply prophesying over him and what's going to happen to Judah as God preserves them. Right? This is 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 30. And this is what the Lord said to me. And you are left in Judah. You who have 2 Kings 19 and verse 30. You got it? And you are left in Judah. 
you have escaped the ravages. Let me read from this text. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. Say that after me. Uh, take root downward. Bear fruit upward. You cannot bear fruit upward until you are downwardly rooted. It's a simple principle here. Right? And all of this is in context of God's response to the trust factor in Hezekiah. And the Lord said multiple things to me, and I wrote this down. When you take root downward, you will bear fruit upward. Being downwardly rooted results in being upwardly fruitful. Downward rootedness sustains upward fruitfulness. Upward fruitfulness emerges from downward rootedness. If you have no downward root, you cannot have upward fruit. The upwardness, the flourish, the flourishing of your life. Let me read this to you in the King James. I think it says, those of you who are left in Judah who have escaped the ravages of the seed, will put roots downward in your own soil, and you will grow up, and you will flourish. Everyone say flourish. Now, this is, like I said, more exhortational than instructional, because God wants to encourage you today. That when, I would think of it like this, trust, say trust. Trust is my downward root. Say it again, trust is my downward root. What do roots do to a tree? Anchor. Strong. No matter what wind blows, I'm going nowhere. I'm going to stand my ground. How, much you watch, how many of you watched some of the images of Hurricane Harvey? Right? You saw some images there of violent wind. And those, there, was a, there, was a, there was a scene on CNN of a string of palm trees. Eh? And those palm trees stood erect. Like, going nowhere. <laughs> the the leaves were going all over the place, but we are going nowhere. The Bible says about Tamar in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Tamar is like a palm tree that stands erect in a desert. Right? But your, your erectness in terms of how you stand unmoving is dependent on how deeply you are rooted. You know what the Lord said to me? The Lord's been saying in my spirit, Randolph, anchor your roots in trust. How much do you trust me, Randolph? Do you really trust me? God says, okay, I've seen some of the expressions and your walks of faith. If you have a legacy of proof that perhaps you do trust me to a certain degree. But the Lord is saying to me, but where you're going, that's not going to make it for the next phase of the journey. I'm, I'm going to require you to have bold trust, deeply rooted trust, in order for you to bear the kind of flourishing and fruitfulness that I'm about, about to break forth upon you, your family, and your local church. I need you to have complete trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord, the scripture says, and do good. Sometimes expressions of your trust. Let me just find the text. Psalm 37. I want to close with this. Check this out. This will be hugely encourage you. Trust in the Lord and do what? And do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate. Let's go to the next verse. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the 
desires of your hearts. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will, and He will do it. Now go back to verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. God said to me, Randolph, how you trust is going to be validated or expressed will be by two expressions that I require of you. Number one, do good. And number two, cultivate faithfulness. Everyone say, do good and cultivate. You see, you, the verse doesn't end yet. It doesn't say trust in the Lord. It says, trust in the Lord and, and do good. Then it says, you uh, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Faithfulness is a thing of the past for many, many churches. I want to encourage you, continue with obedient good works as the Lord has directed you. For in doing so, you are expressing the fact of, see, God, how much I trust you. I am not waning with my doing good. I'm not reneging on my degrees of faithfulness. Everyone say faithfulness. I want to encourage you to be faithful to the Lord, to His work, to His people, to His purposes. Don't take a step back by the severity of your trial that has befallen you. You know what the Bible says? That they that, are, they that trust in God will be rich toward God in good works. I'll show you that in two weeks' time. Okay? Everyone say rich towards God. It's, I'm rich towards God, so I'm trusting Him, and the expression of that is by doing good works. So just, just carry on doing what you are doing. Tell that to someone, carry on doing what you are doing. Sometimes I feel, God, let me just stop all the traveling and just, just focus on a few local things, yeah? And the Lord said, no, no, carry on doing what you're doing. Just do good. Cultivate faithfulness because that is your manner in which you're expressing that you are trusting me for. Uh, God will take care of certain things that you cannot do, but you just do what you can do, and God will come through. Amen? Come on, say, close your eyes, lift your hands, say, Lord, I trust you. Say, Father, I trust you. With my whole heart, I trust you. Say, Father, I will trust you at all times. Say, I will not lean upon my own understanding. I will not lean upon men. I will not rely upon systems that brought me success in the past. From this day onwards, I may not know what to do at times, but my eyes will always be upon you. So now sweep through the camp of my enemies. Come on, say, sweep through the camp of those that oppose your will for me. And bring death to every effort. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us signs, Father. See how we trust you. See our eyes upon you. We trust you. We don't rely upon our own strength. Our trust is in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. I run into your name today. I run into your nature. I say like Job, I will do good. I will be faithful. I will be obedient. Though you slay me, yet I still will trust you. Come on, say, Father, like Job said, though you slay me in the process, I will still trust you. My trust is in you, always at all times, in Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen.
Come on, just high five someone and say, trust him, trust him. Trust him.